Thank you very much for that special music. That was very beautiful. <clears throat> Greetings to all of you here in Charlotte today, and to those that may be watching this or listening to the sermon around the world from another source. Certainly is a beautiful Sabbath day and a privilege to be here. <clears throat> As you heard in the announcements, we had a very inspiring ministerial conference about a week ago. We had over 230 ministers and wives from about 18 countries. It was interesting, some of the comments that were made was that it's good to, it's actually exciting to see names and pictures become real people as you actually meet these people and see what they look like and talk with them. It was always exciting having uh, <clears throat> contact with brethren from around the world and international areas. And I wanted to share with you just a little bit of humor that was posted on the Internet about tombstones in Mexico. The, the post was entitled, Cemeteries are More Interesting in Mexico. They got pictures of tombstones with various things written on them. One says, here lies Pancreazo Juvenales. Uh, it says, Buen Esposo. Buen Padre, Mal Electricista. <laughs> he was a good husband, a wonderful father, but a bad electrician. <laughs> Another one by the name of Gustava. It says, rest in peace. This is a memory from all your sons, except Ricardo, who did not pay any money for the tombstone. <laughs> We have a Ricardo. <laughs> one final one says, rest in peace. This was a, for a, apparently a gentleman named Thomas. Rest in peace. You are now in the Lord's arms. Lord, watch your wallet. <laughs> now, different cultures have different senses of humor. But uh, it, a sense of humor is something that seems like we share. Uh, <clears throat> regardless of where we come from. <clears throat> Brethren, today is the Sabbath, and as we learn from the Scriptures, the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, in spite of what some people seem to think or say. We read in the book of Exodus that we are commanded to remember the Sabbath, to remember when it comes around. <clears throat> and the word arrest from our labors from our routines, and we all get caught up in routines as we go through the week. But the Sabbath is a time to pause, to rest, <clears throat> to worship God as we're doing here. As we read in Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, you can just jot these down and maybe review them uh, <clears throat> as you have time. It mentions there that we're not to be doing our own thing on the Sabbath. We're not to be speaking our own words. In other words, focusing on material, worldly things. But the Sabbath is a time to reflect on why we're here, where we're going, to rejoice in the knowledge of the truth that God has opened our minds to understand, and to refocus on the big picture, on the plan and the purpose of God, that he's working out on this earth. You know, it's very easy to go through life, <clears throat> week by week by week, year by year by year. You know, I was talking with a friend recently, and he was commenting, it's been four or five years since a certain event happened. I said, four or five years? I said, it just seems like yesterday. He says, that's because we're getting old. <laughs> it's so easy to go through life 
without really thinking about the big, important questions in life. You know, why are we here? Where are things going? And the Sabbath is a time to reflect on these things, to get off by yourself, maybe sit quietly at home and reflect on some of these questions. It's time to get our bearings again about where are we in God's prophetic timetable? What is the significance of the things that are happening around us today? Where are we in our personal relationship with God? Do we have a personal relationship with God? Or do we just come and sing and, and go and have snacks after church and then go out and do something else? Do we have a personal relationship with God? <clears throat> Where are we as a church, as a body of human beings? Are we moving in the direction that what God wants us to go? I want to ask a couple more questions, and I'd like you to think about some of these questions today on the Sabbath while we're here. And I'd like you to be looking for and formulating some answers to the questions. <laughs> Don't just write down the questions. But you get your mind around these questions and come up with some answers. Come up with some answers that are meaningful to you. <clears throat> Let me ask us a couple more questions. Where is the world heading today? Have we noticed? Where are things going? What's really happening on the world scene? You know, we, we get focused on ourselves sometimes and what's happening in our life and the bills we have to pay and interpersonal relationships or difficulties that we have, but are we aware of what's happening in the world and where it's going? Where do these events fit in the prophetic timetable that God has that He's working out on this earth? Then some personal questions. Where are you heading where are you going in your life? What are you doing with your life? What do you plan to do with your life? Have you, are you, will you develop a really personal relationship with God? Is God real to you or is God just something way off somewhere? Do you talk with God? Do you walk with God? Where are we going as a church? Are we functioning together as God wants His people to function? Or do we bicker and you know get involved with the strife and fusses and whatever? Where are we going as a church? Are we functioning as God wants His people to function? so that we can become an even more powerful instrument in God's hands if we work together, if we show love to one another. <clears throat> you know, many people today, they listen to the news, they watch what's happening, and they're beginning to realize something's not right in the world. We're not living in normal times today. You know, we've had a volcanic eruption that totally disrupted the air traffic in Europe. Mr. Crockett was talking about a 1,000-year flood that's occurred just recently. We've got an oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico that could spread 
across the Gulf, and if it gets into the Gulf Stream, it's going to go around Florida and up our East Coast. These are things that are happening all around the world. The Catholic Church is embroiled in a pedophile situation. This is the biggest professing group of Christians in the world. Over a billion people are Catholics. And they claim that that's the true church. And yet the church is riddled with something that's really disgusting. And it's turning off people. In the last several years, we've seen a financial crisis that threatened the world's financial system. And it's not over yet. Europe is embroiled in a crisis right now. If the Greek uh, budget blows, and possibly Spain, and possibly Italy, possibly Ireland, and possibly England. These are not normal times. Do we understand that? The global balance of power is shifting today away from America and away from Britain. It's going to take a little bit of time yet, but things could happen quite suddenly. You know, China is coming on very strong. Got an article from South Africa recently. It said China is there trying to buy up the resources. They don't want to use the word colonialism all over again. But things are moving in a direction that's going to impact our nation, it's going to impact the world in the days just ahead. Now, these are things we've been talking about for years, but they're happening today in front of our eyes. But I want to focus on something just a little bit different. If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, because God has a timetable. He's working out a plan and a purpose on this earth that He prophesied would take place thousands of years ago. You can go back and read the prophecy, and I think it's in Isaiah 46, about verses 8 to 10, where He says, I am the Lord. I declare the future from the past. I'm predicting it, and I'm going to bring to pass what I've predicted. God is real. And He's bringing to pass today things that were prophesied years, you know, thousands of years ago. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul states prophetically, But know this, that in the last days, at the end of the age, perilous times, difficult times, will come. And it describes a period of godlessness as you read these things. Men or people will be lovers of themselves. They will be focused on themselves. They don't care about other people. We had a chance to go to, I think it was Haiti, a number of years ago. It's one of the more impoverished countries in the Western Hemisphere. But there's also a lot of rich people there. I remember driving down the roads. The people used the road there to walk on, to uh, uh, thresh their grain, uh, all kinds of things. But people with money don't care about other people. You'd hear a motor coming down the road, usually a Mercedes, going about 90 miles an hour on a two-lane road. People just jump off the road, dive into the bushes. person driving could care less. Boom! It's scary. Because they didn't care about the average person who didn't have that kind of money. People in a lot of developing countries, the rich live in big homes, and the poor live in poverty. This is the world that we live in. 
But Paul said the time would come when people would be lovers of themselves. Think about themselves only. Lovers of money, materialistic, greedy, boasters, proud, blasphemers, intentional indignities to God, mocking Jesus Christ, ridiculing religious belief, disobedient to parents, unthankful. You can read down through the rest of these. Verse 5, it says, having a form of godliness. You might want to look that up in a number of different translations. It says, having a facade of religion. They go to church, but the Bible really doesn't mean very much. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, denying its, its real. Well, the Bible doesn't really mean that. <laughs> I know what it says, but, you know, that's all been changed. You just brush it away. So this is the times that we're going to be living in. A godless period of time. You can read something similar in Second Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3. We look at chapter 3 very quickly here in Second Peter. <clears throat> Peter was predicting what things were going to be like as we approach the end of the age. And I think unless we're blind, these things are happening. Peter says, Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 3, verse 3, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, doing their own thing. And the scoffing is basically at anything religious. Anything religious. You know, Ted Turner apparently made the statement that Christianity is a, rel a religion for losers. Christianity is a religion for losers. It's a big put-down. It's a big put-down. I want to read you just a number of headlines <clears throat> that talks about what's happening today in light of these prophecies. Here is one talked about Indiana student sues to stop a prayer. A top-ranked senior at a suburban Indianapolis high school is asking a federal judge to stop a graduation prayer that the class, the class voted to approve. He does not believe that anyone should involuntarily be subjected to prayer and religious beliefs. I'm going to sue you for praying. Another one, <clears throat> a graduate student <clears throat> Well, this was graduation ceremonies. Church was going to hold a, a school was going to hold graduation ceremonies in a church, and they were taken to court because they're saying that uh, the church has is all fitted out with Christian symbols that improperly expose students and attendees to proselytizing religious messages. It, it just goes on. <clears throat> Another college teacher was uh, taken to court for assigning readings from the Bible and for reading the Bible in class and otherwise relying on the Bible as an authority in the assigned subject matter. Another school was fighting for its license because it uh, <clears throat> was teaching about the Bible in a class. This article says it's certainly a sad day in America when government decides that it's inappropriate, that it is appropriate to ban the Bible in public schools. 
Another graduate student was um, dismissed from her graduate program for declining to uh, uh, counsel a homosexual based on religious principles. I I don't want to do that. It's against my religion. So they're dismissed from their program. Another person was going to bring a lawsuit against uh, Thomas Nelson and Zondervan. These are religious publishers who publish the Bible because the Bible verses were too explicit about homosexual behavior. You know, this is unbelievable. This is happening in America, where in our Pledge of Allegiance we say we're one nation under God. On our coins we say, in God we trust. This is happening in Britain and Canada and other places where they sing, God save the Queen. It's incredible what's happening today. You know, a number of other articles talk about Christianophobia. A fear of Christianity is extant in our countries today. Another big word, theophobia. People are afraid of God. They don't want to talk about God. They want to persecute anybody that does. This uh, fellow in England that uh, writes these books on the God delusion, Christopher, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, Peter Dawkins. He writes that uh, atheism is inherently rational and religion is irrational. So all you people are irrational (laughs) because you believe in God. Disbelief in God is a sign of humanity's intellectual maturity. The Bible says people say there is no God or fools. There's a difference in perspective. Belief in God, this fellow says, is a vestige of humanity's passion-filled childhood when it was ruled by fear, hate, and ignorance. And he says he's going to sue the Pope if the Pope comes to England. (laughs) This is incredible. But this is what is happening today. Jesus also mentioned in Matthew chapter 10, I want to just set a little stage here for what we're going to to be talking about in the sermon. Matthew chapter 10, another prophecy by Jesus Christ. He said, and he's talking to his disciples. Verse 16, I will send you out as sheep among wolves, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, tribunals, courts, judges, And they will scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings. Now, this will happen to us. But it's also happening to other people that profess Christianity today. In a so-called Christian nation, which blows your mind. I think Adrian Hilton said when he was here, it's unbelievable what's happening in Britain. So you wouldn't believe what's happening there. And we will probably not believe either what's going to happen here in the years just ahead. Down to verse 22, Jesus says again, But you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Church of God, and appears also just for being a Christian. In a country that's becoming increasingly secular. But he who endures to the end will be saved. How do we endure to the end? What are we going to have to do? 
What I'd like to talk about in the sermon today are two things that we're going to need to do if we're going to endure to the end, if we're going to bear the fruit that God wants to see. I want to talk about seeking God and walking with God. Seeking God and walking with God. Dr. Meredith has an editorial in the upcoming Living Church News talking about walking with God. These are things we really need to focus our minds on today. And ask yourself the question, is God real to you? Is the God who inspired these prophecies real? Is the God who's bringing these things to pass, allowing them to come to pass, real? You know, Satan is also real. He has a plan and he has a purpose to deceive and to destroy and to blow you away so that you don't qualify to be in the kingdom of God. And we've got to be aware of these things. Do you seek after God? What do you do to seek after God? Are you walking with God? How do you walk with God? Is it important to walk with God? Why is it important to seek God? These are things I want to talk about in the sermon today. Let's notice, first of all, a scripture by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, where he's speaking not only to his disciples, but Others that would listen, we're reading these verses today. But Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God. He doesn't say seek first to make a lot of money. He doesn't say seek first a husband or wife and then seek the kingdom of God. No, he says seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness to do things God's way. Why is this important? And all these things shall be added to you. The things that he was talking about, you read in the previous verses. About clothing and things you're going to eat and where you're going to put on, you know, where you're going to live. He said, all of these things will fall into place if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Your desire is to do things God's way. That's a promise. Matthew 13 are a series of parables talking about the kingdom of God is likened to hidden treasure. And when you sense where that treasure is, you sell everything else and you go for it. Kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. When somebody says, I've got this pearl, I'll give it to you for a certain price. You probably say, well, here's the price and more. (laughs) I really want that. Or is our response, well, that's okay. I've seen that before. I'll get another one. Now, the instruction is seek that kingdom of God, being in the kingdom of God, reigning with Jesus Christ, preparing to change the world and turn the world right side up, restoring the truth, delivering people that are suffering. This is what you've been called to be part of. This is the future that you have as young people. You can begin to prepare to be in the kingdom of God. For those of you that are retired and living in the better half of your life, (laughs) as we get older, use your spare time. Use your time. Make time. 
to prepare to be in the kingdom of God. But this was Christ's admonition. But you know, it's not just a New Testament concept. You know, the book that we're using for the, uh, I think, uh, the OTS class, Old Testament survey class, we're using it for the Gospels, we're using it even for the Epistles class. The author there says many doctrines, uh, Christian doctrines, uh, are not really defined in the New Testament, but you find them explained in the Old Testament. He says they go together. Here's an unconverted person. Understands the importance of both parts of the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. But let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we see these same concepts were revealed to Moses. And they haven't changed. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I would suggest you start reading about verse 23, where it says he's warning the Israelites. Now Moses is talking to the Israelites, actually the children of the Israelites that came out of Egypt. So he's talking to the second generation. And so for those of you that are second generation Christians, listen up. You know, their parents came out of Egypt. They didn't do what God asked them to do. And the parents had to wander for 40 years till they died in the wilderness. Then just before the second generation was about to go into the promised land, Moses said, now listen, let me tell you a few things. Remember what happened to your parents. Think about that. Verse 23 says, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, that is, with your parents. And you make for yourselves carved images. You go off into idolatry and start doing other things. He said, if you do that, you're going to wind up going into captivity. Verse 27, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number. But then in verse 29, a more positive note. So this is prophecy in advance, telling people what to do when you get into trouble. But but from there, where you're scattered into captivity, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. If you seek God with all your heart and with all your soul, it says you'll find Him. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn from the Lord your God and obey His voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to you. This is a promise. If we can learn from history, if we can draw close to God, if we can seek God and walk before Him, God will listen, God will hear, and there will be blessings as a result from that. Verses 39 through 40 mentions here, Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord Himself is God in heaven and on the earth beneath. And there is no other. God is real. 
and he's going to bring to pass what he said. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. Moses is telling the second generation of Israelites before they went into the promised land. You shall therefore keep his statutes, his commandments, which I command you today. Why? That it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days, live a long, uh, pleasant life in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. This is one of the benefits, or these are some of the benefits of seeking God of walking in His commandments and not drifting off in another direction. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. This is what Moses told the Israelites before they went into the promised land, but this is could be reading this out of the New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. It says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What is God looking for? But to fear the Lord your God. It's not cringing and cowering, but fearing, obeying. You don't want to disobey. And to walk in all His ways. This is how we walk with God. We walk in all His ways. We follow the instructions in the Bible. We don't argue with it. We want to do it because God said to do it to walk in all His ways, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I was talking to a person recently and he said, you know, I really want to be at the holy days because I want to be there. As opposed to, well, you know, it's another holy day and Pentecost is coming and we've got a Sabbath on Saturday and then we've got two services on Sunday. Man, that's a lot of services. This person was saying, I want to be there because I want to be there. I don't want to miss it. I want to hear what's going to be covered. This person was speaking with all his heart and with all his soul. And it came across that way. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you this day, for your good. Because it's going to be good for you. And it's going to be good for those who you influence. Let's notice who else was told pretty much the same message. Go to Second Chronicles chapter seven. Second Chronicles chapter seven. And God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't change. And yet many people today have changed an awful lot of things. God appeared to Solomon. <clears throat> this is actually the second time God appeared to Solomon. And notice the message that God gave to Solomon. Beginning in verse 14, it said, If my people are co- who are called by my name, and we are called today the church of God. And so this applies to us also. If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If they'll humble themselves. And that involves coming to acknowledge I'm wrong. I've had a bad attitude. I've done things the wrong way. I did not act as Jesus Christ would act 
in a particular situation. We've got people today that will go head-to-head with ministers. Well, that's what you think. Here's what I think. And here's what I read in my Bible. Unbelievable. If my people would humble themselves, some of these atheists writing books today that make fun of God, they are going to be humbled. And they're probably going to live to see their countries go down the tubes and see some people coming in to control their countries that uh, it's not going to be very pleasant to live there. And somebody said that uh, there's, you, you can't find an atheist hanging upside down in a well by his foot. <laughs> they begin to pray. <laughs> they realize they need help, but it takes something drastic like that to, to make a point. But this is what Solomon was told by God. Verse 17, as for you, Solomon, if you walk before me. See, this walking before God and seeking God are extremely important. Solomon was the king in Israel. And people in high places have high profiles and people look to those profiles. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I've commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David, your father, and you shall never fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes, as we are doing in our countries today, if you turn away, forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them, talking about the people of Israel, from my land, which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among the nations. Now think about this in the context of our nations today. America is supposedly one of the most religious nations on the face of the earth. You know, any given Sunday, we probably have more than 50% of our people go to church. It doesn't happen that way in England and France and Holland even in Italy, where they have maybe 8 to 10% of their people go to church on Sunday. Something different about America. And people know that. But God says here to Solomon, But as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and this house? Why are these people that proclaim themselves to be Christians having such a difficult time going down the tubes, then they will answer. People are going to be able to make connections because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. They turned their back on God's way, on His commandments. They had Christianophobia or theophobia. They made fun of God. There's another headline here talking about uh, Comedy Central, which I guess is a comedy network. It says they're going to be airing some programs that, that mock Jesus Christ. They just make fun of Jesus Christ. In a country that claims on its coins 
in God we trust. Your God is not going to be mocked. He said things are going to be straightened out. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be unfortunate for those who have turned their back on God. But people are going to say, because these people forsook the Lord their God and the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them, therefore he has brought all this calamity on them. And this is what we're looking at in the years ahead. But we've got to be able to deal with these things. We've got to be able to endure to the end. We've got to be able to draw close to God so that God will draw close to us. You can go through some other scriptures about King Asa in Second Chronicles 14 and 15. How he destroyed the idols. He walked with God. He sought God. But then he drifted away. And there were consequences he had to deal with. How do we seek God? How would you seek God? Let's notice some instructions quickly. In Psalm 63, verse 1, David writes a lot about prayer. And this is not the kinds of prayers, now I lay me down to sleep and things like that. We're doing uh, laps around a rosary. You know, where you just repeat the same thing over and over and over again. It's talking with God. You're using the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father, who art in heaven, I'm coming before you as the creator and sustainer of this universe. And you talk with God. Maybe even sit down, you get on your knees by your bed, have that prayer out in front of you. Use that as a model for talking with God. You talk about your needs, talk about your hopes and dreams, ask God to lead you and guide you. God, you've given me a life to live. You've given me an opportunity of living in a country where education is free, where we have opportunities. I remember one year at the feast, some of our people were down in Jamaica and they took a drive up into the mountains. And they came back and some of the people were just shocked. They were in disbelief that somebody tried to give me their baby daughter. Say, here, take this baby back to America so that they can have a better life. Now, in the parents' mind, it was kind of like, there'll be an opportunity for my daughter. But for other parents, it's kind of, how can you give away your daughter? You know, people live in different circumstances in this world. We have been called to help change the world, to prepare to change the world. And yet sometimes we see prophecies coming true. We talk about being in the kingdom of God, reigning with Jesus Christ. It's kind of, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Now tell me something new. You know, do we see the big picture? Do we grasp what God has called us to be part of? Do we take that serious? Are we excited about that? Determined to be there? In Psalm 63, David gives some guidelines. He says, O God, You are my God. Early will I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. Oh, i got to go to church again? (laughs) Three times in one weekend over Pentecost? That wasn't David's attitude. He says, My soul thirsts for You. I want to hear Your Word expounded. I want to be where Your Spirit is. 
But he says, early will I seek you. What is he talking about? Psalm 5. Psalm 5. And verse 3. Here's what David did early. He says, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct it to you. I will look up. He's talking about praying early in the morning. Do we make sure that we pray before we leave the house in the morning? I remember one morning I didn't. I just got married and I was playing tennis in Pasadena. I ran out of the house, grabbed my tennis racket, got in the car and left. I'm trying to think all the the details here. Uh, I think I got some gasoline and put it in the back of the car. I was going to clean off the engine. I put it in a quart jar. Left it in the back seat. My wife came out later to come get me. Got in the car and didn't make it to the tennis courts. I got a call from the campus police. She said, your wife is out here in the car. It looks like she's had a wreck. The fumes apparently had got to her and she had smashed into the back of somebody else's car. One of the lessons I learned was I didn't pray that morning. I was doing my thing. David says, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. You know, I don't think I've missed a morning prayer since then. But these are hard lessons to learn. But God wants us to learn. God does watch over us, but He wants us to learn. Psalm 55. This is one of the ways of seeking God. Psalm 55, verse 17. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening, morning, and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud. And he shall hear my voice. David prayed morning, noon, and evening. Daniel prayed, even under the threat of arrest and persecution. They knew what he would be doing in case of Daniel. They broke into his room. See, he's praying to another God. Would we do that? But this is how we seek God. Psalm 35, verse 13, David talks about he humbled his soul with fasting. It is not to get your own ways. It's merely showing God, I'm really earnest about this. And I'm not going to be eating today. I want to focus on your word. I want to pray. I want to draw closer to you. He humbled himself by fasting to show his earnestness. Psalm 51, verse 17, something that God looks for in people that want to seek him. Psalm 51 and verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. This is what God is looking for in those that are seeking Him. Are they earnestly seeking Me? Have they come to the point in their life where it's, God, your will be done, not mine? May your will be done, not mine. 
And yet I've talked to people, and sometimes we have to wrestle with ourselves. Well, I know what I want to do. <laughs> and I know what I think God should do. But, you know, we've got to come to the point where God is your will be done, not mine. And we don't lobby for getting our own way or doing our own thing. You know, we let God guide, and we want to follow where God leads. We want to seek God. You know, we <clears throat> look at this example that we have in the Bible of Daniel, a man who sought God, Daniel chapter 9. Now, he was not only praying, he was doing other things in addition. You know, he was studying the Scriptures. So in the first year of Darius, the son of Azarius, the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet. In other words, he understood the captivity was coming towards an end. And he was beseeching God to forgive his people, to intervene, to free them from this captivity. Verse 3, it says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He was very earnest in seeking God. You know, Dr. Meredith has admonished us and encouraged us to be praying for the fruits of God's Spirit. Do we just kind of add that at the end? Oh, by the way, God, uh, we'd like some of the fruits of your spirit. Uh, amen. Or are we literally beseeching God? God, pour out your spirit on us. Help us to have the strength and the wisdom to use that spirit so that you can work through us mightily, powerfully. And we do that with prayers and fastings. It says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. He talked about, you know, we have messed up, God. We don't deserve to be freed. Please forgive us. He was very earnest about those things. Verse 20, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God and for the holy mountain of God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly, verse 22, he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you that you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. God answered that prayer. It was a very earnest prayer. God is real. God is real. Let's look finally at um, Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. You know, Isaiah makes it pretty plain what God's will is, what God wants to see in us. <clears throat> Isaiah 66 and verse 2. The latter part of the verse is, But on this one will I look. If we're seeking God, this is what God is going to look for in us. And he tells us the answer to the question. <laughs> he provides the answer to the quiz. What does God look for? What does God want to see in us? But on this person or this one will I look. On him who is poor. Now we all probably qualify for that. 
But what it means is humble, lowly, depressed, or flattened. You know, all the air is out of the balloon. You blow up the balloon, you punch it with a pin, and and you got this flabby piece of rubber up there. It's no more, it's not inflated anymore. It's not full of hot air. God is looking for a person like that so that he can mold and fashion them. You might go, I'm young, strong, I don't need to pray. I've got a good income coming, (laughs) I don't need faith. I got it made. Well, for how long? For how long? But God is looking for those that are humble, teachable, that are willing to learn, and of a contrite spirit. It means they're broken in spirit. They're not wanting to do things their own way. They're repentant. They're sorry for what they realize that they've done. And they want to become better. They want to do better. And God can work with a person like that. And a person who trembles at my word. I read it. That's what I want to do. I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to play games with it. I want to do it. And God can work powerfully with us if we develop that attitude. He can work powerfully with you as a young person. If you're praying to God, God, guide me. Show me the way that I need to live. Because, yeah, I would like the blessings. (laughs) Because it's better that way. But please use me. Guide me. Lead me. But this is how we see God through prayer, through earnest supplications. God, lead me, guide me, bless your work. And many of us may not have, you know, big incomes and that we can make big contributions to the work, but God will hear our prayers. And God can lay it on the hearts and minds of people that have funds that we don't have to get this work done. How do we walk with God? Let's focus on that for the latter part of the sermon. Why should we walk with God? Any benefits from walking with God? You can read in Genesis chapter 5, verse 22, it talks about Enoch. He walked with God for some 300 years. How long have you been walking with God? 5, 10, <laughs> 15, 20, maybe 50. We still don't match up. It said Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Genesis 17, verse 1. This is what God told Abraham. Jesus Christ told His disciples something very similar. God doesn't change. Genesis 17, 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, now Abram had been working with God for about 25 years by this time, longer than many of us have been in church. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. It means be perfect. Be without blemish. You might say, well, I can't do that. Nobody's perfect. He didn't say you are perfect. He said walk before me and be perfect. Strive to be perfect. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Matthew 5:48. Be you therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It means spiritually mature. You, you see the big picture. You put things together. You're balanced. In fact, a number of the comments that were made by some of the ministers from the, the conference 
a week ago. They said it was not only inspiring, it was balanced. It was balanced. It wasn't way off in left field or way off in right field. You know, the National uh, Teachers uh, Association, National Education Association, I think it is. Uh, look at people. That's probably not everybody, but some of their leaders do. They look at people who want to stand for solid, traditional family values. That marriage should be between a man and a woman. Family relations 101. Homosexuality is wrong. They, they said these people are wackos. They're wackos. They've got crazy ideas. They're weird. And yet they want to come out in favor of abortion. They want to come out in favor of same-sex marriage. And they say one of the reasons we're so powerful is we can get votes. I was a college teacher at a state college in Massachusetts. I did not join the teachers' union, but I was told it doesn't matter whether you want to join or not. They're going to take the, the dues out of your paycheck. So you may as well join. They've got power. They've got money. But Jesus told His disciples to be perfect. Strive to be perfect. Complete. Spiritually mature. Strive to grow. Same thing that Abraham was told by God. Walk before Him and become perfect. We become perfect as we learn to walk with God. As we keep His commandments as we let the mind of Jesus Christ operate within us. Is this important? Notice in Exodus chapter 18. This is what Moses was told to tell the Israelites. And this is from his father-in-law. Now Moses had to be converted to listen to his father-in-law. Maybe his mother-in-law told him the same thing. <laughs> Let's start reading uh, in verse 19. This is Jethro speaking. He says, Listen now to my voice, Moses. Now Moses may have been a general in the army of Egypt. He was the son of the Pharaoh, or at least raised that way. Jethro knew who he was talking to. But it appears Moses was humble enough to listen. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk. That's what we're doing here today. Talking about the way that we need to walk and talking about applications of that and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, people with ability, who fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place them over uh, the uh, people of Israel. So Moses was told, basically, teach the people the way that they should walk, the way that they should go. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 23. The Israelites that came out of Egypt didn't listen to Moses. They didn't follow God's instruction. But God gave the same instructions to Moses again to tell the Israelites who went into the promised land, the second generation. Basically the same message. And it's the same message that we read in the New Testament, basically. Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 29, I think it is. 
where God says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me. That would want to do what God says and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them. And there's nothing wrong with not committing adultery. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with not committing fornication. There's nothing wrong with not killing people. There's nothing wrong with not getting drunk. There's nothing wrong with not stealing. It's really a better way to live. And yet the message today is, hey, <laughs> you know, if you haven't lived, you got to go do this and that. Yeah, do it and see what happens. Do it and see what the risks are. Do it and see how you feel when you come down with a disease, when you blow your mind. I remember talking with a guy one time up in New England. He was about my age. He'd been a hippie. He'd taken drugs. But he came across the truth. He was reading the magazine. He was beginning to understand it, but he couldn't quite get his mind around it because there wasn't much left of a mind to get around anything because he pretty much destroyed it with drugs. It was really pathetic. It was sad because he, he was trying to grasp the truth, but he couldn't, he couldn't grasp it because there wasn't much left up there. He'd blown all the circuits doing great and wonderful things. So he thought. I could go into a lot of other examples, but <laughs> this is not the place or the time. You know, there is a way that works and there's a way that doesn't work. There's a way that when you walk with God, there's going to be blessings. Let's finish reading here. Deuteronomy chapter 5, we start in verse 29. Uh, <clears throat> down to verse 33. It says, You shall walk in all the ways of the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you. If you do what God asks you to do, you live God's way, things are going to go better for you. That you may possess, uh, you may prolong your days in the land which you are going to possess. These were the things Moses was supposed to teach the children of Israel. You know, we can read in Deuteronomy, excuse me, in Isaiah 30, verses 20 and 21, about the kingdom of God. It says, people will see their teachers in that day. And they will say, this is the way. This is the way that leads to a better life. This is the way that you can avoid an awful lot of problems. People will see their teachers and they'll say, this is the way. What way are they talking about? You go back to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, and it says, the law will go forth from Jerusalem. And people are going to want to go up to Jerusalem and say, look, let's go up there. And they will show us the way to walk. They will show us the right religion. They will show us the values that don't change. If we learn to walk with God today, we're going to be given incredible opportunities in the years just ahead to literally turn this world right side up. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be thrilling. It's going to be rewarding. You know, how do you feel when you do something nice for someone and they say thank you? Do you feel bad? No, you say, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. 
If somebody tells you, you know, you, you did something for me that really made me feel good, how does that make you feel? Oh, I feel terrible because I made you feel good. No. <laughs> no, it makes you feel good. It's rewarding. It's exciting. And this is the opportunity that God is offering us if we walk with God. Psalm 1, verse 1. David understood these things. This isn't just New Testament or Old Testament. These are principles that don't change. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. David is trying to tell us something here. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear. It says, Blessed is the man or blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And for you young people, in high school or college or even grade school. You know, your friends are going to say, well, this is where it's really fun. You know, this is what you really need to do. If you're a man, you'll do this. If you're a real woman, you'll do do this. No, you're stupid if you do those things. You're stupid if you do those things. You've been taken in by people that don't know what they're talking about. David is trying to tell us something here. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I remember one time in high school, we were going to a dance, and I was driving my dad's little car with two of my friends. And we had this little car, and they had a big chain across the driveway of the high school. And somebody said, I'll bet your car would fit underneath that that, uh, that chain. <laughs> They said, let's go up there and park by the the school. Let's not park down here in the parking lot. So they get out, and me like a dummy, they lift up the chain. I drive underneath. About that time, we see the janitor coming out of the door up there, and they drop the chain and ran, and I'm sitting inside this chain (laughs) with my dad's car. (laughs) Like a dummy. I I listened to the counsel of the ungodly. (laughs) And they ran away laughing. Hey, Woodell, you're going to get stuck. Ha, 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 bye. Well, I looked around. There was a hedge where there was no hedge. And I figured the car would go over that, so I got out of there. And I went back the next day to see if there was any tire tracks. <laughs> see, I listened to guys that I thought were my friends. I had another situation where I think it was in sixth grade. And... Uh, some older kids were walking by, and my friends told me to say, hey, tell this guy something. So I told him that, and the guy picked me up and pinned me against the locker. And then my friend was there, ha, 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 get him, get him, get him. I thought, he's my friend. <laughs> he told me to say something smart to this guy. I did, and then my friend is telling him to beat me up. See, if you listen to the counsel of the unguided, this is school stuff. Somebody might tell you, hey, invest in this. This is really great. And you do, and you lose your shirt. Or tell your boss off, and you do, and you get fired. See, David is saying here, blessed is the person privileged to be envied is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates in the law of the Lord day and night. If you're a young person, spend some time reading the Bible. Read the book of Proverbs. 
You learn the lessons that are there to learn. Walk with God. Make it a goal in your life. <clears throat> a couple of other principles, and then we'll close. Proverbs 13, verse 20. It says, if you want to be wise, walk with wise men or walk with wise people. You know, as young people, <clears throat> especially in your teens, early 20s, you read some biographies of great people, people who have made an impact on the world, people that are role models that you'd like to follow. Read about their lives. Read about David. Read about Jesus Christ. You walk with wise people. Don't spend time with foolish people because you'll pay big, big consequences if you do. And maybe stay away from the the, the movers and shakers in school or on your job. Because chances are they're living on the edge and eventually they're going to fall over. And if you're with them, they're going to pull you down too. You'll be careful with these things. If you want to be wise, walk with wise men, walk with wise people. As you're planning your life, talk with your parents. Talk with older people. I was impressed by the book that Queen Noor wrote. I think it was entitled An Unexpected Life. She grew up in a privileged home, but she also had apparently a set of values. She talks about talking with her grandmother and asking her grandmother, how can I live a life that will be worthwhile? How can I live a life where I'll have an impact on people in a positive way? Apparently, girls that went to school with her realized she's different. She was different in school. She wasn't goofy. She wasn't running around partying. Again, I don't know all the details, but when you read the book, you realize you're reading a book by a different kind of person. A different kind of person. And if you spend time with people like that, you get inside their minds. You ask God, God, guide me as I make decisions about my education. Guide me as I make decisions about my job. Open doors where I need to be. Close them where I don't need to be. You get a multitude of counsel. Again, as young people sometimes, well, I want to do it myself. <laughs> do it yourself. But there will be consequences. If you can make God part of part of the team, God guide me. You know, ask your parents for advice. Let them guide you and help you. But the proverb is: if you want to be wise, walk with wise people. Choose your associations carefully. Micah six verse eight. Let's turn to that quickly. <clears throat> and the Bible is just filled with with really practical advice. God tells us what He's looking for, <clears throat> what He expects of us. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. And I draw big circles around these scriptures in your Bible. <clears throat> Micah 6 verse 8, it says, He has shown me, or shown you, O man, what is good. Talking about God. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to treat people justly, honestly. If you do that, it's going to be a blessing. You, you cheat people. You exploit people. You shortchange people. You put people down. It's going to be costly. To love mercy. Now, mercy means forgiving people. 
Mercy means going easy sometimes whenever you'd rather go hard. To be merciful. How do you feel when you've been dealt with mercifully? Thank you. <laughs> How do you feel when you've been dealt with unmercifully? Oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm just going to let him have it. God wants us to deal justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. God, I want to do it your way. I don't want to do it my way. I've learned my lesson, I hope. <laughs> Help me learn, God. A couple of other ways to walk with God. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, talks about the church in the first century. It said they walked in the fear of God. And I think that's what God wants to see us walking in the fear of God. Having the kind of government that God wants to have in the coming kingdom of God. Having the dedication and the focus, the humility, the love. Walking in the fear of God. Romans 6 and verse 9, Paul talks about walking in the newness of life. Whenever you came in contact with the church and when you were baptized, did people recognize that your life changed? Oh, he's just the same old John. He just got dunked. Or did your life change? Where people recognize he's not the same person anymore. She's not the same person anymore. They've got a different set of values, a different focus. That's what conversion is all about. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But we want to walk in newness of life. We want to make changes. 2 Corinthians 4.2. Let's look at that one. <clears throat> this talks about what not to walk in. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. In chapter 4, verse 4 talks about we're living in Satan's world. But we don't want to live the same way. 2 Corinthians 4.2 So, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, not, not being duplicitous, not saying one thing and doing something else, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. Well, I know what it says, but I don't believe that. I think it means something else. But by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, We need to walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where you trust God. We've been reading, God says, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. And we might think, well, you know, if I obey God, I might lose this or that. But it's going to work out in the long run if we walk in faith. Galatians 5, 16, Paul talks about walking in the Spirit. He might want to review the fruits of God's Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Now, do we talk about or when we talk about people, even in the church, do we speak kindly of people? Or do we get in a little knot in, in a corner? Well, I wouldn't do it that way. I don't know what he's doing over there. You know, all this stuff. How do we talk about people in other groups? Do we speak kindly? You know, some churches of God having difficulties today. Do we start pointing fingers? Or do we pray for people there? That God would guide? 
Do we speak kindly of each other? Person in the next office, I try to speak kindly of Mr. Crockett. <laughs> but you know, th- these things should should just come out that way. To speak kindly, to walk in love. Love is an unselfish, outgoing concern. Do we walk in love? Do we walk in the fruits of the Spirit? Do we walk worthy of the Lord? Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. We've been called to become kings and priests. We've been called to become part of God's family. God wants us to seek Him. God wants us to walk with Him. We discussed at the very beginning of the sermon what's happening in the world today. As Paul said in Romans, he says, No one seeks me. No one seeks me. No one fears me. Romans 3, where it talks about those things. He's talking about the world we're living in. Yet we've been called to come out of this world to seek God earnestly. God, guide me, mold me, wash me, clean me up, point me in the right direction. God, I want to walk with you. I want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. I want to keep your laws. I want to keep your instructions. I want to do that so that I can help change the world one of these days and point the world in a right direction to teach the truth to people, to lift the burden of suffering. Brethren, set some goals for yourself over the summer. I talked with the students last week. And summertime is growing time. Summertime is growing time. It's a time to grow. We're trying to plant some seeds here today. I would encourage you, water them. (laughs) And have some things grow. Set some regular times to pray for yourself. And don't let anything else interfere. Pray in the morning. Pray at noon. Pray at night before you go to bed. Set some time apart for Bible study. And then some goals for that Bible study. I want to read through the book of Acts. I want to read through the Gospels. I want to read through uh, maybe Deuteronomy. I want to read through Proverbs. Set some goals for yourself and seek God. You pray earnestly that God would bless His work, that He would open doors so that we can do an effective work today, reach this world, and explain the significance of what's happening. Set some goals for yourself this summer to seek God and to walk with God so that we can be in the kingdom of God together.